Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Recovery is Effin' Awesome. My name is Robo. My day of grace is May 7th of 2010 and I am as grateful for that today as I know how to be. I want to thank y'all for stopping by and giving me a listen. Uh, today we're going to talk about step 7. Step 7 is humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Well, there's two words that I had no idea what really and truly meant. One was humbly, to be humble, uh, and the other one was shortcomings. So according to Mr. Webster, the definition of humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance. Okay, and a shortcoming um, is a fault or failure to meet a certain standard, typically in a person's character, plan, or system. Yeah, had those. Um, <laughs> I definitely uh, had those. So last episode we talked about step six. Now step six and step seven in the book on page 76 doesn't get a whole lot of uh, page time. Uh, doesn't really spend a whole lot of words. Uh, again, the book was written in the 30s. And kind of like step six, my opinion is that um, when Bill's writing this book, that he saw the importance of step seven, um, but he saw that the the work work or the meat, if you will, uh, is going to be steps eight and nine, right? Where we go and and, and we clean out um, and and drop off all that baggage we've been carrying around. So on page seventy six, uh, we call this the seventh step prayer. It says, "When ready, we say something like this: My Creator." I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Then it says we have completed step seven. So that's what the what the book tells us. Now if we turn to the 12 and 12, it goes you know a little bit deeper. Again, the book was written in the 30s. Right, I didn't. I don't want to say that that they wrote it and they put that prayer in there, and it's like, okay, we're done. Let's let's you know, not overlook this step. Um, but it's 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 not. Um, we need to do more, right? We need to put put more work in, and that's where we get into eight and nine. Uh, but then he goes back in the twelve and twelve, which was written in the fifties. And so he wanted to, I believe, elaborate a little bit more on this step, um, just because it's, you know, seven-step prayer. Ooh, I'm done with step seven. Well, there is a little bit more uh, to that. So if we dig a little deeper here in the 12 and 12, it says, since this step so specifically concerns itself with humility, we should pause here and consider what humility is and what the practice of it can mean to us. And again definition of humility according to Webster is a modest or low view of one's own importance right how important are you well, obviously not not very right um, at least not as much as we thought when we were drinking uh, continuing on in the 12 and 12 indeed the attachment or the attainment of greater humility is the foundation principle of each of the 12 steps for without some degree of humility, no alcoholic can stay sober at all. Nearly all AAs have found 
that unless they develop much more of this precious quality that may be required just for sobriety, they still haven't much chance of becoming truly happy. Without it, they cannot live to much useful purpose or in adversity, be able to summon the faith that can meet any emergency. All right, so this is telling me that unless I find some level of humility, um, stop thinking of myself as you know running the show or more important than I actually am, um, I can't be happy. And then if I have um, some adversity, which we will, because you know life is life, uh, I will be unable to to bring about the faith that um, can help me deal with this in a, an emotion or in a, um, an adult way. Let's just say that uh, a rational, respectful adult way. All right, back to the double twelve. Humility is a word and is an ideal, has a very bad time of it in our world. Not only is the idea misunderstood, the, world itse- the word itself is often intensely disliked. Many people haven't even a nodding acquaintance with humility as a way of life. Much of the everyday talk we hear and a great deal of what we read highlights man's pride in his own achievements. Just look at social media. He might have been, he's, I'm telling you, man, Bill's a soothsayer, right? He saw social media coming long time before it did. With great intelligence, men of science have been forcing nature to disclose their secrets. The immense resources now being harnessed promise such a quality of material blessings that many have come to believe that a man-made millennium lies just ahead. Poverty will disappear. There will be such abundance that everyone can have all the security and personal satisfaction he desires. The theory seems to be that once everyone, everybody's primary instincts are satisfied, there won't be much left to quarrel about. The world will then turn happy, to be free to concentrate on culture and character. Solely by their own intelligence and labor, men will have sharp, shaped their own destiny. Certainly no alcoholic and surely no member of the 12-step program wants to depreciate material achievement, nor do we enter the debate with the many who still so passionately cling to the belief that to satisfy our basic natural desires is the main object of life. But we are sure that no class of people in the world ever made a worse mess of trying to live by this formula than alcoholics. For thousands of years we have been demanding more than our share of security, prestige, and romance. When we seemed to be succeeding, we drank to dream still greater dreams. When we were frustrated, even in part, we drank for oblivion. Never was there enough of what we thought we wanted. Ain't that the truth? In all these strivings, so many of them well-intentioned, our crippling handicap had been our lack of humility. We had lacked the perspective to see that the character building and spiritual values had to come first, and that material satisfactions were not the purpose of living. Quite characteristically, we had gone all out in confusing the ends with the means. Instead of regarding the satisfaction of our material desires as the means by which we could live and function as human beings, we had taken these satisfactions to be the final end and aim of life. True, most of us thought good character was desirable, but obviously good character was something no one needed to get on with the business of being self-satisfied. With a proper display of honesty and morality, we stand a better chance of getting what we really wanted. But whenever we had to choose between character and comfort, the character building was lost in the dust of our chance after we thought what was happiness. 
Isn't that the truth? Always choose comfort. Comfort over character. Not anymore. Seldom did we look at character building as something desirable in itself. Something we would like to strive for whether our initial needs were met or not. We never thought of making honest, honesty, tolerance, and true love of man and God the daily basis of living. This lack of anchorage to any permanent values, this blindness to true purpose of life, produced another bad result. For just so long as we were convinced that we could live exclusively by our own individual strength and intelligence, for just that long was a working faith in the higher power impossible. This was true even when we believed that God existed. We could actually have earnest religious beliefs which remained barren because we were still trying to play God ourselves. As long as we place self-reliance first, a genuine, a genuine reliance upon a higher power was out of the question. That basic ingredient of all humility, a desire to seek and do God's will, was missing. For us, the process of gaining a new perspective was unbelievably painful. It was only repeated humiliations that, were, that we were forced to learn something about humility. It was only at the end of a long road marked by successive defeats and humiliations and the final crushing of our self-sufficiency that we began to feel humility as something more than a condition of groveling despair. Every newcomer in AA is told is, and soon realizes for himself that his humble admission of powerlessness over alcohol is his first step toward liberation from its paralyzing grip. So it is we first see humility as a necessity. But this is the barest beginning. To get completely away from our aversion to the idea of being humble, to gain a vision of humility as the avenue to true freedom of the human spirit, to be willing to work for humility as something to be desired for itself, takes most of us a long, long time. A whole lifetime geared to self-centeredness cannot be set in reverse all at once. Rebellion dogs are every step at first. When we have admitted without reservation that we are powerless over alcohol, we are apt to breathe a great sigh of relief, saying, well, thank God that's over. I'll never have to go through that again. Then we learn, often to our consternation, that this is only the first milestone on the new road that we are walking. Still goaded by sheer necessity, we reluctantly come to grips with those serious character flaws that made us problem drinkers in the first place. Flaws which must be dealt with to prevent a retreat into alcoholism once again. We will want to be rid of some of these defects, but in some instances, they will appear an impossible job from which we recoil. As we cling with a passionate persistence to others, which are just as disturbing to our equilibrium because we still enjoy them too much. How can we possibly summon the resolution and the willingness to get rid of such overwhelming compulsion and desires? But again, we are driven by an inescapable conclusion, which we draw from our experience, that we surely must try with a will or else fall by the wayside. At this stage of our progress, we are under heavy pressure and coercion to do the right thing. We are obliged to choose between the pains of trying and the certain penalties of failing to do so. These initial steps along the road are taken grudgingly, yet we do take them. 
we may still have no very high opinion of humility as a desirable personal virtue, but we do recognize it as a necessary as necessary aid to our survival. When we have taken a square look at some of these defects, have discussed them with another, have become willing to have them removed, our thinking about humility commences to have a wider meaning. By this time, in all probability, we have gained some measure of release from our more devastating handicaps. We enjoy moments in which there is something like real peace of mind. To those of us who have hitherto known excitement, depression, or anxiety, in other words, to all of us, this newfound peace is a priceless gift. Something new indeed has been added. Where humility has formed, formerly stood for a force feeding on humble pie, it now begins to mean the nurturing ingredient which can give us serenity. This impoverished perception of humility starts another revolutionary change in our outlook. Our eyes begin to open to the immense values which we have come straight out of painful ego puncturing. Until now, our lives have been largely devoted to running from pain and problems. We fled from them as from a plague. We never wanted to deal with the fact of suffering. Escape via the bottle was always our solution. Character building through suffering might be all right for saints, but it certainly did not appeal to us. Then, in AA, we looked and we listened. Everywhere we saw failure and misery transformed by humility into priceless assets. We heard story after story of how humility had brought strength out of weakness. In every case, pain had been the price of admission into a new life. But this admission price had purchased more than we expected. It brought a measure of humility, which we soon discovered to be a healer of pain. We began to fear pain less and desire humility more than ever. During this process of learning more about humility, the most profound result of all was the change in our attitude toward God. And this was true whether we had been believers or unbelievers. We began to get over the idea that the higher power was sort of this bush league pinch hitter to be called on only in an emergency. The notion that we would still live our own lives, God helping a little now and then, began to evaporate. Many of us who had thought ourselves religious awoke to the limitations of this attitude. Refusing to place God first, we had deprived ourselves of his help. But now our words, of myself I am nothing, the Father doth us the work, began to carry bright promise and meaning. We saw we didn't always need to be bludgeoned and beaten into humility. It could come quite as much from our voluntary reaching for it as it could from unremitting suffering. A great turning point in our lives came when we sought for humility as something we really wanted rather than something we must have. It marked the time when we could commence to see full implication of step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. As we approach the actual taking of step seven, it might be well if the AAs inquire once more just what our deeper objectives are. Each of us would like to live at peace with himself and with his fellows. We would like to be assured that the grace of God can do for us, which we cannot do for ourselves. We have seen that the character defects based upon short-sighted and unworthy, unworthy desires are the obstacles that block our path toward these objectives. We, are now, we now clearly see that we have been making unreasonable demands upon ourselves, others, and God. The chief activator of our defects has been self-centered fear, primarily fear that we would lose something we already possessed, 
or would fail to get something we demanded. Living upon a basis of unsatisfied demands, we were in a state of continual disturbance and frustration. Therefore, no peace was to be had unless we could find a means by reducing these demands. The difference between a demand and a simple request is plain to anyone. The seventh step is where we make a change in our attitude, which permits us, with humility as our guide, to move out from ourselves toward others and toward God. The whole emphasis of step seven is on humility. It is really saying to us that we ought to be willing to try humility in seeking the removal of our other shortcomings just as we did when we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, came to believe their power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. If that degree of humility can enable us to find the grace by which such a deadly obsession can be banished, then there must be hope of the same result respecting any other problems we could possibly have. So, ladies and gentlemen, there is a little bit more to step seven than just what's in the in the hymnal. Um, that's some good stuff. That is some good stuff. It's all about humility, thinking less of myself. Um, when I put others first, when I put God first, obviously, uh, life is a whole lot easier. Um, I don't have to be the center of attention. I don't have to know everything. Uh, my friend Jim H. always used to say, that would I rather be happy or would I re rather be right? And today, ladies and gentlemen, I would rather be happy. I choose to be happy every morning I wake up. And that is step seven. I appreciate you guys taking a listen. It's kind of a little little shorter video or audio, podcast, whatever we're doing here. Um, got no camera, so I guess it's not a video. Uh, but I appreciate you guys. <coughs> uh, still working on our store. We're getting the shirts and the bracelets and the coffee mugs out. Uh, next up will be step eight. Again, stay sober. I love you guys. Have a blessed day. And remember, recovery is effing awesome.